This show is a proud member of the 143 Podcast Network. Enjoy the show. Paul and Michael occasionally save the world. Paul and Michael occasionally save the world. Paul and Michael occasionally save the world. Occasionally. So what's up, Paul? Oh my good lord, do you really want to ask me that? It's been a day, Sparky. It's been a a day, a week, a month, and a year. But you know what? I'm going to start with a simple thing to talk about. Okay. So, bright note on whatever the hell we talk about today. Uh, I went to the the card shop that I used to go to. So when I first moved to Maine, uh, my job was quite stressful. And I was looking for a hobby. And actually, before I discovered comics, I discovered card collecting. And I mean, of course... I collected cards as a kid. We all did. You know, we all had like 5 million Nolan Ryan post uh, cards, you know, that came with a package of bread or something like that. I don't know. But anyways, so I started card collecting. I got into card collecting for a while. But card collecting can get expensive. I backed off card collecting eventually. Cleared out my collection. I actually just recently sold the bulk of the remainder of my collection to where I had pretty much nothing left. But... We talked about this before. I started reading the book, The Boys of Summer, which is about the Brooklyn Dodgers. And uh, it actually kind of opened up the doors for card collecting for me a little bit again. I got a Piri Reese here. I got a Joe Black there. I got a Carl Erskine. Uh, so I kind of opened the doors for card collecting, but in a different way. Whereas before, I would collect kind of uh, more based on the value of the card, but still with a focus for my favorite teams in mind. Now I'm kind of just thinking, you know what? I want a card of the players that I emotionally am excited to see in some way, shape, or form. It doesn't matter if it's an autographed jersey card, you know, and limited to 99 or whatever. Uh, anybody who collects cards, you know, probably knows a thing or two about what that means. So today, I went to the card shop, and I got a Cody Bellinger rookie card. Priced at $10. I got a, a Jock Peterson rookie card. Priced at uh, $2. Got Corey Seager. Priced at $2. You may notice by now I'm a Dodgers fan. I got a, Hun, a Hyunjin Ryu rookie card. Priced at $3. And just to go back a little step further, I got an Oral Hershiser rookie card. Yep, priced at $2. and I remember last time we, we talked... Uh, you said, you said you needed to go find you an Oral Hershiser card and you did. I do. And so the, the last card I got that I didn't mention yet is I got my son a Tom oh, Brady cool. card because I took him to the card shop for the first time. Not the first time actually. So the first time, well, at least one of the first times I brought my son to the card shop was when he was a baby and I had gone there on my way to pick him up from childcare after work and... Uh, I bought a few packs of cards and I left just feeling like I left something on the table. So I went and I, I picked them up from Talicare and I turned around and I went back to the card shop and I picked up the remaining packs of cards from the box of cards. And I had him pick a few out, just whatever you grabbed first. I grabbed out and I paid for those. And it turns out I was, my, my, my incl- inclination was right. By going back and having him pick out a couple of packs of cards as a wee little baby there, um, I got a 
an Andrew Luck autographed rookie card that I ended up selling on eBay for $400. Oh, God. Yeah. So, inclination was right. My wee little son, Sam, was the good luck charm. And today was his first return to the card shop in quite a long time. He was kind of excited. I talked to him up about it before. I talked to him about, you know, who his favorite teams were. His favorite teams, of course, are the teams that his, uh, his peers in his kindergarten class wear shirts, you know, when they come to school. Well, yeah. so of course, yeah. your local teams here, which is, you know, a little bit adverse to who my teams are. That doesn't matter. The most important thing about being a sports fan isn't about everybody agreeing with you. It's about being passionate about who you're passionate about and fostering a love for what you love. So for my son, if he wants to love the Patriots, awesome. So he loves the Patriots, the Red Sox. Uh, the Celtics didn't come up as much. Um, the Bruins, he learned a little about this year. So I, I also, I got into hockey there. I moved, uh, to move, uh, the year I moved to Maine. So I got into the Bruins and the Kings at the same time. So I was very much rooting for the Bruins this year. So my son got into that. But, uh, but yeah. So anyways, I took him there and I asked him who he wanted. And he didn't know too many names, of course. Like he's still pretty young. So I asked him what teams he liked, and then I asked him a little bit more to kind of help him narrow it down. So, of course, like Tom Brady is the one name that he pretty yeah. much knows. The greatest of all time, Tom Brady. Uh, I actually saw on uh, on the TV when we were out getting lunch today, so it was you know, on mute and I was reading the subtitles, but they were debating whether Tom Brady or Michael Jordan was the greatest athlete of all time, I believe oh, wow. what they were debating. Yeah. Something to that effect. I thought it was interesting, and uh, from what I read from the subtitles, at least, they were making a pretty compelling case for Tom Brady. Because you know what? Tom Brady uh, didn't quit on his sport twice already, whereas Michael Jordan quit on his sport twice throughout his career. So, not interesting. Anyways, that's neither here nor there with the cards that I got. And the cards that I got, there weren't anything crazy in the autographs here. No jerseys, no memorabilia, nothing crazy. The most expensive card was the Cody Bellinger card was $10. Because in case you don't know, Cody Bellinger is kind of the hottest thing in baseball right now. But uh, it was quite enjoyable. And I went there, and uh, the fellow who owns the card shop, his name is Paul, got to know him well. Um, goes back to kind of going to a place where you have... More resonance with uh, with a place than just the product. Like going there, I haven't been there very much in yeah. years. Paul knows who I am. I walked in; he was surprised he and happy you to see me after all that time. Yeah, after all that time, he re- not only did he remember me, he remembered Sam. But of course, he said, "Who is this guy?" You know, I said, "This is Sam." You haven't seen oh, him God. in years, you know. So it was a you know it was a special moment. Like now, my son is old enough to share and going back. So let me there. ask you a question. And it's actually a card yeah. shop because there used to be a yeah. bunch of cards. I remember back in the nineties, back in the heyday when everybody was collecting baseball cards, basketball cards, football cards because they were going to retire on them. Uh, there were card shops. Uh, I, I, I when I was in college, I got together with a buddy of mine, and he's like really into collecting baseball cards primarily, but he also like dabbled in basketball cards and stuff like that. And he kind of got me into it. And he, t- I remember one time I went home with him to spend the weekend, uh, visit his mom, 
and he took me around to all the card shops he liked. And there were more, there were several. I cannot tell you if there's a card shop that exists in the area that I live in. So it's interesting that there's actually still a, a shop that, you know, focuses just on cards. Cause, you know, there's, there's shops I've been to that have them. Most of the ones I see cards in are ones that, uh, They've, they've got them and like, I, I go treasure hunting into like antique malls and stuff like that where, or like where they have consignment stores and you can, that's where I went a few episodes back when I was talking about where I, I wanted to go back and get my cards that I had when I was a kid, uh, especially the Ranger cards the, that I loved. And it was surprisingly easy because there's lots of them out there. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, so I mean, this is so this card shop is a card shop, the epitome of what a card shop is and should be. Having uh, you know packs of new cards to buy, uh, having the mix between um, retail and hobby packs. If you don't know the difference between that, a retail pack would have much lower odds of uh, hitting one of the valuable cards, whereas a hobby pack would cost more. But would have increased odds of hitting, you know, the, the cards are yeah. getting more valuable. Um, so the interesting thing for me going back here, when I collected cards before, I primarily collected football and hockey cards. Uh, and I primarily collected buying new packs of cards. And I did buy some basketball, a little bit of baseball. Um, but it was very different kind of knowing what products had a good chance of hitting something worthwhile. And I still foolishly bought stuff that was more likely to pull a bunch of crap that, you know, wouldn't sell for anything. Um, but it was, it was very different. You know, it was more about either I flat out want to own this because it's, you know, my team, it's a good card. I know the value of it. Um, Compared to, you know what? I went in there today and I, I, I told Paul, the guy who owns the shop as well. Um, the, the way I got back into card collecting, at least mentally interested in it was reading the book, the boys of summer, which is about the Brooklyn Dodgers. And I read about the players who played on that team. And of course, the most prominent figure is Jackie Robinson. And anybody who doesn't know why he's prominent, uh, should, you know, pull their head out yeah. of their ass pretty much. Um, so Jackie Robinson is the most prominent figure. A lot of stuff about, you know, racism in, uh, in our country and stuff like that involved in it. And uh, a lot of other figures were very compelling. And the book was about half about, uh, the fella who wrote it growing up rooting for the team. And about half of it was about him writing the team, and uh, following up with visiting those players years later. So it was very interesting seeing the difference in perspectives and getting to know the players a little bit as who they were and whatnot. So my card collecting habit restarted a little bit with getting a handful of players off of eBay. I got Pee Wee Reese, I got Carl Erskine, I got Joe Black, uh, a couple other cards off of eBay. Uh, but you know, then I quickly, quickly kind of realized that, you know, of course, like a lot of those cards are going to be expensive on eBay because the, the players I'm looking for are known valuable yeah. players. 
And I, you know, I was kind of thinking, like, maybe I should go back to this old card shop, see what they had. I went in there, and I, I kind of looked around some. And first, I was focused on ha- helping Sammy find what he wanted, because I wanted him to enjoy the experience. So we looked around some, and after looking for a few minutes, I told Paul what Sammy was looking for, and he was looking for, uh, you know, he's yeah, Tom Brady. Pretty much. Tom Brady's the only play, player he yeah. knows yet by name. So I said he's looking for Tom Brady, so Paul pointed us to where the Tom Brady cards were, so I pulled all the Tom Brady cards out and I showed Sam what his choices were and I let him pick one. Before this point, we had already gone to uh, an, another store, an art store. He got a shark tooth and we knew we were going to go to other stores after that. So I knew that whatever thing he got there didn't have to be the best thing he got that day. It didn't have to be the thing that, you know, by the end of the day made the most uh, lasting impression on his mind. So I wanted to help him find one card to get. So he picked out a Tom Brady card. We got that. And then I was kind of looking around some, and I was asking Paul about a couple of players. And I basically said, I don't know how to shop for cards like this. Like, I knew how to shop for what I shopped for before. I don't know how to shop for this. So, you know, I told Paul I was looking for this guy. He showed me over to this spot of the store. I told him this guy. He showed me another spot. So I found uh, Cody Bellinger when I asked him. He had those in a showcase, all the Cody Bellinger rookie cards. So I picked out one of those. And then I asked him about a couple of other guys. And he pointed me to where he had like the, the hot players or hot rookie cards. And that's where I picked out uh, Jock Peterson and Corey Seager and uh, Hyunjin Ryu. And uh, I didn't even ask about Oral Hershiser, but he was over there too. An Oral Hershiser rookie card from uh, 1985, it looks like there. So I grabbed those cards and, uh, altogether the cards added up to 22 bucks and he takes them all and looks at them and says, eh, how about Aww. 15 bucks? I pay him 15 bucks for those cards. And, that, uh, that's awesome. And I tell you, I, I, I couldn't be happier. Um, I'm going to put these up. I have, uh, if anybody goes to like any kind of arts and crafts store that sells photo frames, you could probably find a, a, a card frame that has slots for a bunch of cards to go into it and oh, holders. Yeah. Um, so I have one of those. I got one of those. Uh, of course, like you, all you have to do is download an app. You can get a coupon for a pretty good discount on those. So I got one of those. And uh, I'm looking forward to putting these up in there. And just like I told Paul, I'm not collecting cards about the value of the cards. I'm collecting cards because of uh, the resonance between me and the players I'm watching, rooting for them, wanting my team to win. And wanting a kind of a little piece there to kind of remind me of what I'm rooting for. So, you know, not only am I quite excited about the Cody Bellinger card, the Corey Seager card, the Kenjin Ryu card, who he's probably going to, well, he's at least on pace right now to win the Cy Young Award this year. Uh, they're talking about Cody Bellinger for the Triple Crown this year, uh, which might be a little early for that, but we'll see. But the Oral Hershiser card, um, you know, the last time the Dodgers won the World Series, they played uh, the Oakland Athletics, and they were supposed to be just murdered by the Athletics. So in 1988, the Dodgers won the World Series, and the first game was won on the back of a Kirk Gibson home run. He had a home run that won the game, and he could hardly walk in that game. They pinch hit him late in the game. And that's one of the most iconic moments. I was only five years old when that happened. I don't remember it actually happening. 
But as a fan of the Dodgers, I've gone back and watched documentaries. I've actually watched the entire games replayed on DVD. And uh, one of the most amazing things isn't just that Kirk Gibson hit that home run in that first game of the World Series in a series where they were supposed to just be destroyed by the athletics. But uh, Oral Hershiser pitched an insane game, too, to lead them to a victory. And they just ended up crushing the athletics in that game. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's where my that's where my Dodgers history goes back to. I haven't watched them win a World Series since I've been old enough to really know what's happened. Obviously, the last few years they've been in the World Series, and it uh, hasn't been the, the ending that we've wanted. But you know what? Collecting cards, for me at least, right now, it's not about the value of the cards, but it's about being able to look at these cards and it resonate that value inside of you about... You rooting for your team and the value of those players. Um, and the, the reason reading the book, The Boys of Summer, is what broke it loose and opened it up for me is it's not just about the value of the players to a winning or a losing team, but the, the values of the players as a person and what it means, you know, in the, the greater meaning of things, which I think often gets lost quite a bit in the, the world of sports yeah, nowadays. Yeah, we kind of touched on that the last time we talked about we talk about wrestling and ultimate fighting and stuff like that, but it's always about the good memories associated with it, where you shared a memory, you shared about how you shared watching I believe it was like watching wrestling with your dad and good. Um, I shared yeah. about my Grandmother liking to watch the uh, Von Eriks and their little skimpy uh, shorts wrestling. Uh, it, it's just it's just fun. The, the 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 experience of it. Um, you know, you people get into collecting things for the monetary value, but to me that that's not a real value. Um, there's more value in things that. I mean, I'm, I'm surrounded right now by things that I've collected just because. I mean, I, I, one of the things I've gone back to do is I, I look for books that I read when I was a kid and I pick them up can be really crappy copy, but I want to have that because I have a fond memory of reading it when I was little. And that's one of the things I do just because no other reason. I mean, there's no monetary value to it, but there's a value to me to have that. Now, if I was to go back and read it, would I like the book now? Probably not, not as much as I did then, but it's kind of like time traveling. You know, you, you pick up a card and that, that, that takes you back to a period of time when you're really engaged with what was going on. Yeah, that, that's fun stuff. It's, it, it's fun to search things out like that. Yeah, that's just so funny, what you, like what you mentioned about value is uh, like, I mean, this Earl Hershiser rookie card I got. It's only worth two dollars. It's Earl Hershey's rookie card. I mean, one of the you know the most important pitchers in the game. I mean, I don't know how how he really rates in the grand scheme of things, but he's not a nobody. Oh, no. That's for sure. You know, this card is it was uh, made in 1985. So this card is uh, 34 years old. 34 year old baseball card, a rookie card. For a pitcher who's on a World Series winning team, it's worth two dollars. Yeah, it's not about what it's worth. It's uh, it's it's just it's so much more 
about what the uh, the, the experience is worth. You know, and I you know, like I said, I was a little bit too young when they won the World Series in '88 to really understand yeah. what was going on. But I was raised a Dodgers fan. Like you know, probably most sports fans would say like they were raised a fan of this or that. And for me, I was raised a Dodgers fan. I was raised a Lakers fan. I was raised being a football fan. But it, you know, it turned out later that my family was, uh, you know, a fan of football, but they were kind of a fan of the local team and they were really a fan of the Rams and then the Rams left and they were in the 49ers in the eighties and blah, 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 you know, but me, I'm a 49ers fan. I'm not a Rams fan. I'm not an LA fan. I'm not a local fan. I'm a 49ers fan. So, you know, we're definitely raised with what we're exposed to, whether, However, our families root for things, but you know whatever our family is rooting for when we're growing up is likely to be what uh what sinks in. You know, my family didn't raise me to be a Rams fan. You know, rooting for the 49ers kind of as a supplemental because the Rams weren't really competitive. You know, but I was raised specifically as a Dodgers fan, specifically as a Lakers fan. It didn't matter if they were good or bad, and I've been through good and bad years with both. So, uh, you know, going back and getting this uh, Royal Hershiser card for $2. $2 is worthless. $2 is nothing. But uh, it brings me back to a time of baseball that I definitely re- remember fondly, even if I didn't actually watch it live while it was happening. It was cemented in me enough. And, uh, you know, I still get chills watching that Kirk Gibson home run. That's the next thing I need to get is a Kirk Gibson card. Remember, yeah, it's that. about passion, what you're passionate about, you know, finding the joy in things. You know, it's kind of like an escape. You can, <laughs> you know, no matter how bad things are going, you, you can kind of escape into your little passions to help you kind of cope with what's going on in the, the world. Um, it's funny you brought up the, the, the whole discussion of value. I was listening to a radio show the other day. And they're talking about uh, Pink Floyd, uh, uh, David Gilmore, the, I guess he was the guitar- guitarist for Pink Floyd, was selling off a lot of stuff. And like they expected a certain monetary value to, to go for his guitars and other things that he was selling. And one of the guys on the show said something. He's like, this amount of money validates them as being great. And that just struck me as so wrong on many different levels. It just, it just hit me as like, Oh, the money for selling something means that it's, it's, it's a value. And I don't, I do not, you know, I don't know that's something about that like a movie, uh, my, we were watching movies. We picked some movies out. We we're going to watch and My daughter went on and she was like looking at the ratings. Well, this movie's rated at 41%. This one's rated at 77%. And, you know, that whole system of how people rate things online and that determines whether a movie's good or not in a lot of people's minds when they see it. Oh, I'm not going to watch that because, oh, it's only got 42%. Yeah, I know the, it's true that a lot of times it's, it's, it's valid, but there are, there are movies that, uh, and that's going to kind of lead into something of my treasure hunting kind of thing that, uh, my wife did. Um, 
doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily true for everybody because you can you can uh look at that and it's it's kind of like the last Marvel movie that came out um with the actress from Game of Thrones that was leading actress horrible ratings but I've heard from a lot of people and I've seen lots of comments from people that really enjoy the the whole series of movies they said it's a good movie and those are like the true fans of it and so if they like it then it's probably not as bad as the 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 people that are on there like clicking negative or thumbs down or putting in that is a two star movie what movie oh, are you talking God. about it's the uh the one um dark phoenix okay yeah yeah i haven't seen that at all but i, I mean that's what i've heard from i mean just the people I follow on Twitter, I, Twitter, I don't follow very much. Like I'm, I'm almost totally off of Facebook, and I'm very little much spending right. time on Twitter. But occasionally I go on and I'll post something, like kind of look at just briefly at whatever's showing up on my timeline. But for the most part, the people whose opinion I would trust have said they enjoyed mm-hmm. the Dark Phoenix. I think it just goes, you know, it goes to show that what are you going into it with? Are you going into something wanting to enjoy it? Are you? Are you going into something wanting to be better than it? If you want to be better than it, then you're not going to enjoy anything. And I mean, all those, you know, anything where fans can rate their opinions. Look what happened with Captain Marvel. People were giving it, you know, minimal rating before the movie even came out because just their agenda wanted to smash yeah. the movie. And the hell does that have to do with the movie? Right. Not only does that have nothing to do with the movie, but even people's perspectives. Like, it depends on what your perspective is. And if you're just giving a rating, you can't really kind of categorize, you know, criteria that matters more. Um, interestingly enough, I just, uh, yesterday, I was, uh, watching Game of Thrones and I was, uh, looking through my email on my phone. I got an email from Marvel wanting me to do a survey and I would get a handful of free comics for doing it. Nothing, no, nothing crazy special. I've actually read some of them already. It was just a bunch of, it was kind of funny. It was like $50 worth of free comics. And then I looked at it as like seven comics director, director's cuts of these, you know, newer comics they came out with. And I've read a couple of them already. I was like, eh, what the hell? I'm just sitting here doing this. I'll do the survey. And the, you know, the survey was a bunch of basic questions about, you know, like how much do you watch Marvel movies and TV or not Marvel specifically, but comic movies, comic TV shows, uh, how, you know, looking for all the different ways that people interact with comics. And, uh, you know, I was answering all that. And then it got to this segment of the survey where it's kind of trying to fill you out as a consumer, like kind of what your ideals were. And some of the questions were, yeah, you know, questions like, you know, any, you know, any is, you know, anybody should be able to marry anybody and stuff like that, which that was, you know, I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. sure, of course. Um, but one of the questions was like, uh, people should be able to do whatever they want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. And I was like, I kind of disagree with that. Like that is, it's applying an absolute to a general right. idea and it doesn't really work. Because there's there's plenty of circumstances that I could think of that that would not be the right thing to say yes to, even though there'd be plenty I, that it would be the correct to. Um, but I don't know. It was just it was interesting, like looking at all the different kind of 
mental angles they were looking for and what they were asking. And I mean, it goes, it just goes to show with the movies, like Captain Marvel, for example, uh, you know, plenty of people gave it a poor rating because they were trying to condemn it with no basis on what the movie was. They were condemning, condemning it before they ever watched it because of their agenda, which is just yeah. a load of shit. And, but even if you throw that out, there are going to be a lot of people who don't really care for it because of other factors. They haven't watched Marvel movies, and this maybe was their first one. They didn't really care, or maybe they only really like the big characters. And so, like, a, a character they're not familiar with isn't going to resonate with them. Or, you know, plenty of other reasons for people to not really care about the movie. Does that make it good or bad? No. It's their their opinion on it. So all of these user ratings for, you know, user ratings for movies are really... I mean, what good are they? They're not. What, what good are the critical ratings in movies? I mean, what good are all of these things? Like, they're so corrupt now with people's individual biases or opinions. What good do they do? That that leads it exactly into what, what I was bringing up about this movie that we watched. And my wife absolutely loved it. I really enjoyed it. The heck out of it. I loved it, too. And uh, it's called The Professor and the Madman. And when we got that, and I can't remember the other movie. My, my Like I said, my oldest daughter is looking up ratings. Oh. It's got 43% on Rotten Tomatoes. That is not going to be good. You know, it's got 43% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got 93% from uh, people on Google that like it. 1.5 out of 4 from Roger Ebert's website. Um, and a 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb. What the heck do you gather from all those different things? It's, it shows you that Rotten Tomatoes... And Roger Ebert versus IMDb and Google is complete opposites. So you can't base it on other people's ratings. If it's something that interests you, then you watch it and see if you enjoy it. You know, in this movie, Professor and the Madman, I used to work at a bookstore, Barnes Noble, years and years ago. And I remember that title, The Professor and the Madman. I looked it up on, 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 on Google. I Googled it and looked it up. It's like, it's based on the book, The Surgeon and the Crow Thorn by Simon Winchester. Well, I remember the name Simon Winchester. I was like, that's not the book. I remember selling the book, Professor and the Madman. A little bit more digging in America is published as Professor and the Madman. Now we went ahead and we, we, we rented the movie. And it's about the making of a dictionary, the Oxford English Dictionary. And it has two people that a lot of people, there's a lot of controversy surrounding both these guys, Sean Penn and Mel Gibson. You know, there is controversy around them, but we, we watched the movie because the story sounded interesting. Um, basically, Sean Penn's character is a guy named uh, God, uh, William Minor, who was a in the 1800s, was an army surgeon for the United States Army. Uh, he had mental illness. He moved to England, ended up killing somebody due to his mental illness, and got uh, committed to an asylum. At the same time, this guy, uh, James Murray, had just got the job of overseeing co- compilation of this monumental task of the goal was to 
basically make a dictionary that was a complete dictionary of English language and the history of it through the definition and then quotes about how it was used over the years. It sounds really boring, but the movie was really good. Uh, you know, the William Minor character killed a guy who was the father of six children. The wife was pregnant at the time. And yet over time, despite her hatred of him, somehow she actually started visiting him and bringing him books. And he became, he, he submitted tens of thousands and thousands of submissions to help in the creation of this big book. And like I said, I worked at a bookstore and there's this guy named Bernie. He's an older retired gentleman in his seventies. That was a lawyer. And behind one of the counters, we had 20 volumes of the, the second edition and we never sold them because it cost a thousand dollars for the complete set. I think maybe we would sell a volume at a time. People would come in that really were interested in that kind of thing. This is a massive thing. And we watched the movie, enjoyed the heck out of it. Um, there's a lot of controversy because all of a sudden it became known that this guy that had submitted a large portion of the material was insane and had murdered somebody. Um, the Mel Gibson character, he was a guy that was self-taught. He had no degrees, but somehow he landed into this job. It was a good movie. Um, so my wife, uh, last weekend went to take my oldest daughter down to visit Rice University because that's one of the schools she wants to go to. She's in a half price books. She's walking around and she finds the compact edition of the Oxford English Dictionary, which sells from anywhere from 50 to $500 online, depending on condition in which printing it is. It came out in, uh, I think, 80, no, 70, early 70s, and then it was printed up until the 80s, different, different printings. And it's like, she'd messaged me, said, I got some, a surprise. I was like, okay, what is it? She wouldn't tell me Then she shows up and she has this massive, massive two volume set has a little drawer in the top for a, cause you have to have a magnifying glass for this because it's four pages of their original printing, which is like 12 or 13 volumes smashed down into one thing. And it was, she paid 20 bucks for it. And it was, it was amazing to me that she found that thing that it just so happened that we had just watched a movie about it and we were interested in it and we were looking at it as like, look, we used to sell this a thousand dollars is what it would cost you basically give or take. So it, yeah, that's my treasure hunting, my treasure hunting story. <laughs> it, it sounds really boring, but it's like, God dang it. The the thing is the, one of the things about the, the this, this set she got, it's missing the magnifying glass and it's like this big round magnifying glass you set on the book because you, you can't read it without seeing that. And I got to find that. That's my next thing I got to find so I can, uh, actually use this thing. Yeah. Good Lord. I got some obsessions. 
<laughs> oh man, you know it. It really goes to show that uh, I don't know whether you're collecting or whatever. The, the value you place in something depends on so much more than just factors that don't really matter. Like, I mean, we could talk about a, a movie like the newer Marvel movies where there's so much just BS involved in how people rate those things. But, you know, what does it mean to you? Like, I mean, for me, Captain Marvel, I loved that movie. There were so many things about it that I loved. One of the factors was that a portion of it took place in the Mojave Desert oh, yeah. where I grew up. I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. So I loved it more than a lot of people would have. Uh, the whole blockbuster thing, the 90s feel to it and stuff like that, that resonated with me because of who I am, what my age is. It's not going to resonate with a lot of people that aren't my age, you know? What does it matter what other people think? I don't care what that movie was rated. I've never once looked at what the movie was rated. And I greatly want to buy that movie and watch it again and again because there were a lot of things I loved about that movie. I'm very excited about Captain Marvel and uh, and Brie Larson playing that character and all that stuff, you know? And everybody's going to have a different opinion. And, you know, I was excited to talk to you about these baseball cards I picked up, not just because I was excited about picking them up and because I knew you'd understand. While we were talking, I also happened to uh, to look on Twitter on my phone, and I saw that one of our friends was uh, a little bit surprised that you cared about baseball mm-hmm. cards and you Dennis. shared that you did <laughs> and, you know, what specific the ones. Dennis. Yeah, Dennis. You know, Dennis, who's awesome. He's a, a big collector of things and can, you know, probably understand it from that angle. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I've experienced all the years that I've been doing this this podcasting thing and, you know, sharing my opinions, it, I, I mean... Honestly, I've been podcasting for years. I had a podcast a lot of people listened to, and we gained a lot of fans because of what we did. And uh, I certainly didn't know a, a damn thing about anything that really mattered. I was just sharing my opinion and trying to make it interesting for people. But one of the things I experienced the whole time was you know, a, a piece of me that was rooted in collecting and was rooted in, in sports and card collecting was always just shat upon by other people because they didn't care. They cared about comics and you know, they, they never cared to listen to the piece of it that mattered. That was what was important to me because all they cared about was I don't care about that. So I don't care. You know, I don't care about what's important to you. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful that I'm doing this with you now because, uh, it doesn't matter what I talk about. The, the, the basis of what we're talking about is that we care about it, that it matters to us, and that we want to share it with each other, not that the other person already cares yeah. about it as well. You know, and uh, card collecting, sports, all those things, are, they're always going to be a part of who I am and a part that matters and a part of what forms the basis for my understanding for stuff. And um, to me, the most interesting thing about what I did today, going to the card shop, was going in there and saying, I started lightly card collecting again, but in a way I'm not used to, and I honestly don't know how to do it. And I said, I'm looking for this. How do I find it? And Paul had to walk me around his card shop and tell me, tell me things I've looked at. Like I've looked all over that store, but you had to tell me, okay, you're looking for this. You want to look over here and you want to look through this area. 
because I didn't know how to find these things. I didn't know how to find what I wanted in a store that I've been in, you know, on a very, very regular basis over a series of years because it was what I did. It was my reprieve. It was my place that I went to when I wasn't at home and I wasn't at work. I needed to get a, a you know, that little break that everybody yeah. seeks in their day from, from everything that they have. And, uh, yeah, it was like to me, the most interesting thing today was not just that I went there and bought a few cards, but that, I went back to something I did before and I didn't even know how to do it because I was doing it in a different way. And I had to seek uh, you know, advice and direction from somebody who knew better yeah. how to do it. And, and man, I got to tell you, it was like, I only spent 15 bucks on one of the cards was for my son. I got five cards in my hand and it's definitely not just about the value of the card, but just being able to look at this oral Hershiser card, looking at him, you know, on the mound, getting ready to deliver a pitch is just, Something I, I just look at this and I think think about watching the DVDs of the Dodgers winning the you know ninety eight World Series and I flip to the net, next card to look at you know Hyun Jin Ryu he's the the best pitcher in baseball right now and you know before this year who would have expected right. it he's getting ready to deliver this pitch and you know I, I keep looking through and I look at Corey Seager and and Cody Bellinger and. They're the two of the best players in baseball. Um, Cody Bellinger is probably the best player in baseball all around this year. And, uh, they won rookie of the year two years in a row. And then I look at Jock Peterson, look at all the promise he offers and the development that he's had and so much more meaning to it than just what other people might think. You know, if I talked to somebody else about this, they wouldn't give half a damn about yeah. what I was talking about. Cause they don't care about the Dodgers. They don't care about baseball. They don't care about collecting sports cards. But the importance of it isn't in all that. It's about what this means to me and that little piece it gives right. to my life. Every one of those cards, to, uh, every know, one of those to get cards these things. has a meaning to you. Why you want to have that. Yeah, and the best thing I've learned since I've become a you know a fan of comics and have uh, continually tried to spread my breath in that... I mean, there's so much stuff that I don't yeah. like right now. I guess it's the easiest way to say it. You know, I mean, so much stuff. Because I, I like the stuff that's easiest to like right now. And it takes work to like yeah. the other stuff. The only way I'm ever going to like it is if I listen to somebody else say why they like it. And then I can go and look for that stuff. I mean, when I started reading, uh, like, you know, now I, I, I love the X-Men. And I, I liked the X-Men, but... uh you know, I I knew I liked them, and I finally dove back into the old stuff. And then this course has been a while ago now, but I was reading the you know Chris Claremont X Men, going back to X Men '94 and Giant Says X Men, which was you know not written by Chris Claremont, but basically kicked off that relaunch yeah. of the X Men. And it was all different. It's all so so different to read than what it is nowadays. But I knew I loved the characters, and I knew that those were important issues and stories and I talked to people who did love them and found out why they loved them and it made it really easy when I listened to why they loved them rather than just listening to what was the same thing I felt already it made it really easy to look for the things that were worth looking for and it, it took some work to get used to reading those comics that were written in a different way but man when I got going it was great 
you know, and I found these great, great things that I never would have found if I was just basing it on what I already liked or listening to only what I wanted to hear from people. And I've spread out from there, and now I have all these old uh, Avengers comics and Daredevil comics and stuff like that. And you know, just looking at the covers is great to me. But, uh, you know, as I read the stories, it's like they're very different than what I'm used to reading. But uh, there's definitely something special about them. And it only comes from not only looking for what I already yeah, know I like, yeah. you know? I, uh, I, I, I get what you're saying. I resonate with that. That resonates with me, I should say. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to you about how, and one of the reasons I... I'm like really into like the Conan books that are being put out by Marvel. Now I get every one of them. I used to be completely against getting new issues on comiXology digital editions. Uh, fortunately because I have a, a unlimited membership, I get a bit of a discount, but I, I love those stories that they're putting out. And that led me into recently there's a big sale discount on a lot of titles Marvel puts out. And one of them was the Avengers No Road Home series. And that's where they had already, Jason Aaron had already come out with the, uh, Conan the Barbarian title, the main title itself, which I'd been, I'd been reading. And then there was the, uh, Savage Sword of Conan. Uh, Gary Duggan or Dugan was the first writer on it and I was getting it. And then I got, uh, another title. That's the, the God escaping my brain right now, but it's, it's called Bellet. Um, the, the queen of the black coast basically is, a it's associated with Conan reading that. I was like, well, they also introduced Conan into the actual Marvel universe through some tricks that they, they pulled, um, in that, that no road home series is like mini series. I was like, ah, I'm going to go back and get the first couple of issues. There's like a dollar 50 an issue. And I read them the first, like first appearance or the first main appearance in that series. And then the next one. And then I was like, okay, I got to go back and get, like I had to at least finish because it was like episode issue five is when he first showed up. So I read all that, but as I was reading that, because I, I, I loved that character and that all goes back to when I was a kid, my comics were experience was very limited. Um, it was basically stuff I picked up at the Piggly Wiggly on the newsstand on the little spin rack is Batman, Archie Conan. I remember those distinctly Spider-Man. Uh, but reading it, reading the Avengers title made me really interested in the Avengers too. So like, I want to go cause it's got a uh, Hawkeye's in it. Hercules, Scarlet, Witch, vision, um, spectrum who I believe was originally captain Marvel. The Hulk and Rocket Raccoon. And I was like, I'd never had that big of an interest in reading any of those characters. But the way they were dealt with in that that uh, series made me interested. 
and I want to read more of the Avengers, which is going to end up making me want to read more Marvel. You know, one of the comics I got, as I mentioned, I did that survey and I got a handful of uh, director's cut comics that, uh, you know, seven comics were supposedly worth 50 bucks. But I was like, yeah, whatever, you know. But uh, one of them was Savage Avengers, which I remembered and I'm excited about reading about because yeah. you're talking about it. And that goes back to, to the Conan thing. Um, and Conan, I, I tried to read some Conan from the stuff that you can Comixology Unlimited, I believe, mm-hmm. from Dark Horse. I tried to. I don't know. I didn't really get into it at the time. But talking to you about Conan makes me more interested into it because I see what you see in it. And when I see what you see in it, then when I read it, I can look for that stuff. And even if I ended up resonating with something else in it, it gives me a starting point. But so I'm excited to read Savage Avengers for that reason, you know, uh, plus the other reasons that might attract me, like, you know, Wolverine being badass. Would you consider Wolverine to be Um, an anti-hero in the way that he's presented well, I mean, I haven't read that. No, 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 comic not yet, in so that I mean, comic, it, it, but just Wolverine of, in general. Like Punisher yeah. is what they consider an anti-hero. Wolverine in general is definitely an anti-hero, and and I believe always has been because he's always been presented as somebody who will do whatever needs to be done. I mean, even if you go back to the earliest days where none of the X Men understood him, and they were always right. just kind of crapping on him for what he would do. I was totally anti-hero because he was still part of the heroes, but they had to work so hard to bring him in. Beyond what they would do. Yeah, and the most interesting thing when you look at the earlier X-Men stuff with Wolverine, so like the you know X-Men '94 on, is man they would they would crap on him. They they were just unabashedly judging him all the time. My favorite moment. And that earlier X-Men reading was the point where he finally went. Uh, there was a moment where they were all kind of taken aback by whatever happened. And he just finally went like, look, you don't know me. So yeah. cram it, basically. Like, I do what needs to be done. You have no clue who I am or why I do what I do. Um, I, I forget the exact context is, of course, I was I was just flying through reading X-Men at that time. So some I'll have to go back and revisit, but um I mean that that was just like the most anti hero moment. Like he's a hero, he's doing what needs to be done, but he's doing it in a way that isn't the the squeaky clean superhero way that everybody else wanted. And I just I loved that moment because that drove me nuts reading the earlier X Men before the the character of Wolverine was starting to be flushed out more when he was just the grunt that everybody would just right. take a shit on. I mean, everybody. I mean I they all the characters I love too, you know, I mean one of the reasons that I really loved starting reading X-Men from the giant size X-Men number one was I loved Storm, I loved Nightcrawler, um, and I loved Wolverine. And, um, you know, those were, I mean, especially going back to Storm at that time, Storm was written so much better back then than when I was heavily reading X-Men since then, which was, you know, a handful of years ago, not not too long ago. Um, and all the stuff that I've read, it just really feels like they just blanded out Storm so much. They took her character away, they made her bland, um, and made her mean so much less. But you read the older stuff, and she had so much more character, and she meant so much more. And, you know, I loved Nightcrawler, but, like, you go back to that stuff, and just everybody was just taking a complete they, crap on Yeah, Wolverine. they did. You sent me the essential 
X-Men three or four volumes yeah. of it. And I read, a, I read a ton of that and you're exactly right. He was just like in the group, yeah. but no one trusted him. They didn't, they, they always trying to rein him in, but he's like, I've got my reasons for what I do. Um, and then I, I, you also sent me the, uh, essential Wolverine. And I, about a, in the last week, I read the first couple of issues from it and I really enjoyed the heck out of that. The, uh, but the, uh, when I was reading the Avengers No Road Home, the reason it made me think of that, to ask that question is one of their three writers is like a team project. Uh, I think it's Al Ewing or something like that. Jim Zub and Mark Wade worked on the No Road Home miniseries or series. And Jim Zub, I, I read the, he had an, like an author statement at the end of one of them. I think it was in one of the issues where he's like, when I got into this project, I knew I was, I guess they kind of broke down the storylines. So he primarily was writing for the, the, the arcs that dealt with Conan. And he's, he called him the original anti-hero. So. That's one of the reasons that I, I brought that up because, you know, I, I like, uh, I, I don't know, Daredevil's not an anti-hero because he kind of follows the law, but the Punisher, I, I, I've always, I was always drawn to him too because he's another one of those guys that kind of, he had a reason he was doing it, not necessarily what he did necessarily wasn't always good, but he, he did what he what he felt was right. And Conan is kind of the same way. He, he does, he has his own code. He follows it and he doesn't expect help from anybody. He's just going to do what he feels he needs to do. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm, the, I'm watching through Game of Lord Thrones, of the, yeah. uh, not Lord of the Rings with the Huck in my same Game of Thrones. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'm watching through Game of Thrones and I had restarted from the beginning. I had previously watched the first four seasons, but I watched through a little over a season of it. And, um, I was trying to watch through it while I had a subscription to DirecTV now. So I only had a few weeks left and I was like, man, I'm not going to be able to finish watching almost seven seasons of this. So I was about to give up. And, uh, I meant, I, I tweeted or tweeted, I texted a friend of mine who, uh, she was watching it. And she was excited for me to watch it. That's when we talked to about it because um, her husband, who's a good friend of mine, doesn't watch it. He couldn't care less. And uh, so I was like, I texted her. I said, I don't know if I'm going to finish it. Um, you know, I, I don't have much time. I don't really want to like fight the pressure of it. She's like, Oh yeah, I can understand that. But I can kind of hear the disappointment. In her her text back to me. So I thought, Well, you know what? What I'm going to try is I'm going to jump back to season five where I left off. And you know be damned if I can't remember exactly what's going on. And one thing I can sure as hell tell you is I don't remember everything that's going on, especially the brand stuff. I was like, what right. the hell are they doing? Touching these roots yeah. and stuff. And, you know, I, I was just completely lost there for a while, but, uh, you know, it slowly started coming back to me, those aspects of it. And some aspects came back really quite easily, of course. But the big difference was, is jumping back to where I hadn't watched any of it hooked me right back in. I was just enthralled because I was left at all yeah. that. What's going to happen? You know? And, uh, so 
but it you know goes back to what you're saying about an anti-hero. Where I'm thinking about John and John Snow, who's one of the characters that I root the most mm-hmm. for in the show. Where he, I mean, he starts off being treated unfairly by at the beginning of the show. The most fair people in the show, the Starks, like they're treating him unfairly, and they are they like the best people you can root for in the Basically show. Basically, only like two crap, people you know? treat him decently, and that's Arya and Ned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even then, like Ned's lying to him the whole time, you know. And Arya's young and doesn't know better. But, uh, I mean, he's just, he's treated awfully. He's misled. He's lied to. Even by the triple, the, the people that, that seem to treat him good. And, uh, he's like the biggest definition of an anti-hero in a way. Like, I mean, most anti-heroes are the ones that, uh, they're trying to do the right, th- right thing and the most wrong way to do it. And he's like, he's the, the most anti-hero where he's trying to do the right thing in the right way. And nobody nobody cares, cares because they don't understand why. It's that whole thing about, you know. Yeah, because no, nobody's doing anything right. Everybody's selfish and trying see, to do See, I've watched the entire them. series, and I'm not going to spoil anything for you. But you messaged me the other night and said, basically, oh, my God, John, John Snow dies. And I was like, oh, my God. Yep. <laughs> and that, that's all I can say, <laughs> you know. Because I knew I was coming up, and I didn't want to spoil it for you, and it amazed me and my wife yeah, both I, that you were you were able to be insulated enough from not knowing that he was he lived. That, I was pretty positive, like I, I was very very convinced. Even when I saw him get stabbed to death, it's like he's going to be brought back to life by the by the Red Lady. Like I. I could see that coming then, and it was a little bit kind of. I paid no attention to people talking That's about good. Game of Thrones because I mean I'm I, I I left off at the end of season four, so I was so far behind that it wasn't even like an effort to try to not pay attention, right? But I kind of had an inkling, and it was funny because before I actually saw him get brought back to life, I was in Target. And they sell pop vinyl figures, of course. And pop vinyls have started releasing those uh, sets that are like a scene oh, really? from a movie. And so, like, I'm looking around, and it's like a, the Battle of the Bastards. Jon Snow and Ramsay Bolton. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can't wait for that to happen now. He's coming back to life, and he's going to fight Ramsay Bolton. And... uh now all I gotta hope is that, uh, you know, Game of Thrones doesn't do the most Game of Thronesy thing they can do and, uh, have that happen and then have John be the one to, to lose in the end. But I'll get there eventually. Nobody don't tell me anything. It but <laughs> Paul here. Do not do it. I'm not going to. There's a lot the biggest, coming up. It's interesting to me. I would imagine. I mean, I, I was watching, so I, I, I burned, I, I watched through about half a season six yesterday. I watched quite a few episodes. I watched a little bit of season six the night before, and then I, I mean, I, I was uh, on episode five last night. I didn't quite finish it. And uh, one of the things that got me with it is I was watching, and you know, they're jumping through all these different storylines, and John, you know, John's back to life. You know, he's brought back by the Red Lady, and all these different things are going on. And, uh, the storyline with Danny, where it's like she, she flies off on the dragon, but she's like, oh, look. And he's captured again. That, like, it felt so 
boring. It's like, I don't want to watch her captured again and, like, slowly, like, easing your way through this situation. And I'm like, oh, man, this is going to just awful. I don't want to watch this again. And then the end of episode four, she kills all the yep. goddamn calls. Yep. Burns them all. Comes out. Her slow, agonizing nothing. Buck-ass naked, you know? and Shakes them out. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, thank goodness. Like, I mean, I, I, I know that a lot of the flack with the last season is that, um, you know, people didn't get what they wanted right. out of Danny. Right. Whatever, you know, like we'll, we'll see when we'll I see get, what, there, you but, get there. I'm not going to spoil like, anything. I absolutely, the, I, I was one of the, I was the minority, I think. I absolutely loved the way it ended. Um, did it? I, and I, I, I think I will too. Like, I mean, I, I know a little bit and I'm, I'm smart enough to know that if I try to understand what the little inklings of what I'm hearing, yeah. I'll understand it. Like, you know, if, Gosh, I remember when I was a big fan of Valiant Comics and people would tweet, uh, or like, you know, post on Facebook or whatever a page of an issue, like, oh my gosh, thinking it was vague enough to not to be a spoiler and be like, okay, yeah. you spoiled everything because I'm not stupid enough to look at a page and not understand right. everything yeah. that that yeah. is saying, you know? So, like, I mean, all the people who complain about spoilers or stuff. If you choose not to know, like, it's not the hardest thing not to know. Like, there was not, I mean, today we were in a, a store called Newberry Comics. They sell a lot of pop vinyls. And, you know, we're looking around a little bit. Because my son, like, he was obsessed with pop vinyls for a while. And uh, now he, like, he still, like, he likes them. And he'll get caught up with looking at them. So he's looking around for a while. And these people come in and they see these Game of Thrones pops. And they start saying stuff about the show. And, like, my brain automatically, like, starts to scramble what they're saying. I couldn't tell you exactly what they said now because my brain, like, I'm I'm not dumb enough to listen to what they say yeah. and figure it out. Like, I'm smart enough if I wanted to to figure out every damn thing about it. But I'm smart enough, too, to, like, throw yeah. up that scramble yeah. and not let it yeah. ruin it for me. So, thank goodness. Like, I'm – whatever. I mean, like, I, I've heard enough stuff. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of stuff as I see. I'm be like, yeah, I knew that was going to happen because I caught the drift. But uh, it not enough to to ruin it for me and to to, yeah, to, to go whatever. back. But uh, oh, the biggest yeah, thing I've no, learned about that show. No, well, last thing I'm going to say, and I'll just say, is uh, <laughs> that show is all about making you absolutely hate yes. somebody and then making you the, empathize. They do with a very them. good job at it, and then yeah. make you hate them again. Absolutely. Yep. That really do. That I mean, it's like. <laughs> It's about creating empathy for somebody you really don't want to like. And they do it more and more yep. as the series goes on from where you're at. But to go back to the point you made about Jon Snow being an anti-hero, think about the position the people of the Night's Watch were in when they were raised with this set belief that the people north of the Wall were dangerous, evil, and we're not out for nothing other than to destroy them. So Jon Snow coming back across the wall and deciding to let them through the gate, through the, through the wall of ice, seems completely insane to them. So when they decided, they felt that them by killing him, they felt they were doing the right thing. They felt completely justified, and anybody else, if they had spread the word, 
they would have thought he they were in the right. You know, my, my favorite moment of that, obviously we're talking about season five, yeah, season yeah. six, like around there. So like well before the end um, is uh, the moment that uh, who was who the guy that led the, the, the revolt against him? The guy that was supposed to be appointed Lord Commander and then they appointed John Lord Commander. I can see his face, but I can't remember his name. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I, I, he's I'm, the guy. I'm not the greatest. He's the guy that he's was always hard on John, spots, always right? picking on John, always putting John yep. in his place. Yeah. So when he, so he, they're getting ready to storm the room where John's dead body is and, you know, the people are standing up against him, like the, the few. And then, uh, the one guy had slipped out and got the, uh, the wildlings yeah. and brought him back. And he says, uh, you know, the Castle Black has never been overran by the wildlings until, and then one of the wildlings stop, interrupts him and says, until you. Because John brought him through to the other side because he understood. But it was that guy who couldn't look past his biases and his hatred that was the one that allowed Castle Black to be taken yep. over by the Wildlings. They weren't taken over by the Wildlings before that. The Wildlings were kept under control, even under, you know, I mean, before it was under Jon Snow, but it was Jon Snow that led them to protect Castle Black yeah. against the Wildlings, even when he was yep. sympathetic to them. He got that, and then he got them through because he saw the greater picture oh, yeah. of what was going on. But it was that one guy who was so blinded by his biases that it didn't yeah. matter. All that mattered was that the wildlings weren't hated and killed for who they were. And that was all that mattered. But he was the one who sacrificed what he thought he was always defending because he was so See, blinded by his that's a lot hatred. of what happens in the show from beginning to end is people are so narrow-sighted that they're focusing only, only on what matters to them the most, their own well-being, that when something is coming that's an actual threat to everybody, well, it's just a myth, it's a rumor, we, we're not going to believe that. It's just like where I'm watching right now in the sixth season, you know, the, the Lannisters, uh, you know, Cersei particularly raised the High Sparrow and his people to power because he, she wanted to smite who was opposed to her and it came up to bite oh, her yeah, in the butt time. because they weren't, they weren't under her thumb. She was trying to manipulate them and she gave them power and they applied that power the way they thought was you know was was right and that was very much not what she wanted and and then the show like it gets to the point where you're rooting for the lannisters at this point against the high sparrow and all those you know religious fanatics because what they're doing is so um you know over the top and aggressive and obscene and I'm like, I was sitting here like, I'm rooting for the Lannisters? What the heck is going on here? Like, this does not feel right. And I, I mean, that was really when it dawned on me. It had been a little while since I watched the show, and there's a lot of ups and downs in the show and surprises and twists and turns. But, man, that show is all about making you loathe oh, somebody yeah. and then putting you in a position to root for them against whatever odds yeah, they were facing. Yeah. And there, there's always at least that one character that – is just loathsome. Like, you know, right now for me, it's, it's Ramsey Bolton. I want Ramsey Bolton dead more than anybody. 
But before that, it was it was Joffrey. I wanted Joffrey dead more than anybody. And then Joffrey sure. dies, and there's just like this kind of like unease that affects everybody and doesn't really ripple the way you expect it to. See, um, after the we watched my wife and I watched like the first couple of seasons, and then we decided we're going to jump in and read the books. So I've read, and she has read. We've read the entire series up to the point that is out now by George R. R. Martin. The crazy thing is, having watched the show, there at the point the books end, Jon Snow is dead still. So <laughs> odds are this is the series. So the, so from that point that John dies. The series had to kind of go on its own and follow its own path. And I know that the show creators had, and they had like, like points that they needed to hit. They knew certain things where Martin was thinking about going to, but there's so much left unanswered in the books that who knows what's going to happen in there. And the storyline is completely different up to this point. It diverged a long time ago. Um, but one of the things you, you brought up Ramsey Bolton and Joffrey. There are evil, evil characters in the book. I mean, in the show, right? But the, you also brought up the fact that there are characters mm-hmm. that, like Sandor Clegane, the Hound. I hated him. I hated, hated him for a long time. And he even makes, they even make him a little bit sympathetic the way he, I mean, cause he, early on, he, uh, he tries to rescue Sansa when, uh, it looks like the King's Landing is going to fall. You know, yeah, I mean, they present it as, like, he has his own reasons for it, too. So, like, they kind of present it in a way where he can still be pretty much a mm-hmm. dirtbag. But, like, the the part that stood out for me, and I only rewatched the first season, like, the first episode of the second season. But there's the the part in the first season where uh, his brother, the Mountain, is uh, in the, uh, the, the jousting competition. He loses. But he can't handle it, so he gets up, takes his sword, yeah. chops his horse's head off, and then goes to kill his competitor yeah. that beat him. And the hound steps in and defends him. And, uh, you know, right when he bows for the king, he would have gotten chopped in two pretty much if he didn't, because he was, you know, not only defending, but he was also respecting the authority that was laid yeah. out in front yeah. of him. But, uh, yeah, I mean, th- the show's just full of that. I, I tried to read the first book, and, like, the first book was just too much like the show, so it felt too much like the same thing. I have the audiobook of the first two books, um, and I tried to listen, same thing, I tried to listen to it, it was just the same thing. I was like, this is too much of the same thing. So I, I don't know if, uh, like, right now my goal is, I'm on the sixth season, I have, two, you know, two and a half-ish seasons to watch, I have about three weeks to do it in. Um, so it should be accomplishable if I can kind of stay focused on it. But, uh, after that, I don't know if I'll go back and try to either read the books or listen to the audio books. I don't know if I'll care. Like, honestly, I was 
really close to just saying, you know what, ditch the show anyways, because I'm not going to have time to, to watch it all before I uh, don't want to pay for the subscription service yeah. I'm doing anymore. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm close enough and uh, like there's a lot about the show that's compelling to me. And it definitely, once I jumped into what was fresh and new, it was compelling. I can't see listening to the audiobooks or reading the books being compelling enough for me to go through all that. So I don't think I'll ever discover what the see, differences are. I think I are. did it. We did it at the but, perfect uh, time because it's early on and the books are the books, the shows, the show. They're not, they're, they are not anything near the same thing. Do they have similar points? Yes, but they're a completely different experience. And one of the things, I guess you could say it's a negative about the 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 books is Martin likes to spin off. He spins off tales from t- tales. It's like he keeps expanding it. The, it was supposed to have been a trilogy. When he went to his publisher and said, I've got this idea for a book. It's a trilogy. Here's a synopsis of it. I've read the I've read the synopsis that he presented. And the books themselves are nothing like the synopsis that he first submitted. And the show is definitely nothing like in its entirety. Um, so the, there is its own thing. You enjoy it at that thing as it is. And you can enjoy the books as they are. Because when the se- season was kind of, the series is kind of coming to an end, I was like, I'm not going to read the books. The season ended and I'm like, well, I, I definitely, if he ever does finish the books, I'm, I'm going to have to read it because I've already invested all that. And I kind of want to see what he does that's different because there's so much different up to a point. Cause I look back and I was like, well, there's so many storylines that are completely absent from the show because you can't put everything in those, that massive stack of pages, even in an eight season show, you can't do it. Uh, certainly is. I think uh, it's time to wrap this show Game up here. How do we get there? Yeah, God, as as tiring as real <laughs> life is. So uh, yeah, we're getting pretty late tonight. So we were supposed to start recording much earlier tonight, and I ended up on the phone with uh, various family members for hours tonight. I'm actually about to get on the phone with another family member for a while. Boy, oh boy, is life it, it a lot of work. Definitely is. Uh, which, yeah, you know, it it goes to resonate with what I've been doing in my kind of working on myself personally of not uh, allowing life that does not matter to work. And one of the things that I have kind of realized lately is that um, talking with people that uh, you know, it's great to talk with people who have a different point of view. It is not great to talk with people who only care about their own point of view. And that's one thing that has changed is I, I've gotten tired wow. of talking to those people. And I found I'm not talking to, uh, to very many people online anymore. And that actually kind of led to why we started late today. Like I left you hanging for quite a bit before I texted you back. And I do apologize about that. But, um, when I was like, man, I don't really have anybody to talk to. You know what I did? I reached out to my family who I like, we're all busy. We got a lot going on in our lives. And I said, you know what? It's about time I break down these barriers and the connection between me and my family. I'm not wasting my time on talking to people who don't care about what I have to say. And I only want to say what they have to say. And <laughs> that, uh, 
I guess it's, uh, you know, digging out of the hole of letting it go for too long, but I spent hours on the phone with my family today before yeah. we talked. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to be back to it in a moment for a little bit. And I have greatly I have enjoyed too, talking man. It's to always you. a pleasure. It is definitely a reprieve from talking about, talking about family things. Uh, saving, talking about, uh, saving the world, saving the world a little bit at a time and, just for ourselves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. So the cool thing about me watching Game of Thrones, like, I mean, we've obviously talked about it. I mentioned that I had a friend who uh, was a little disappointed is going to stop. So it's really fun that the different ways you can resonate with different people with things. Like, obviously, you know, qu- quite a few people who watched Game of Thrones and enjoyed it, like you, for example. The thing I get the biggest kick out of is we have family friends who uh, the, the the wife worked with my wife. And that's how we got to know them. And her husband became a good friend of mine. He's in the Coast Guard. And they had a kid about the same time as us. And then they had another kid after that, which we did not. Um, they, they redeployed to Chicago. Well, to Illinois, at least. Chicago area. They ended up coming back. And uh, so they came back. And I started talking with, uh, with, with Bree, the wife, about... Game of Thrones and kind of checked where she was at and she's like, Oh yeah, I'm so I'm I stopped watching it, but I'm gonna jump back in and finish it. And she was so excited. So I was like, Oh, I will too. You know, I'm gonna get and so I signed up to for Direct TV now to be able to watch the hockey playoffs. And it's like, oh cool, I get access to HBO too, so I'll watch Game of Thrones. I didn't have much time while I was trying to watch hockey, and then it uh left me with enough time because it barely went into a second month of having to subscribe to the service. I was like, Okay, I've spent 60 bucks now to watch the team I was rooting for lose. So I could either leave it at that or I could try to finish watching this show that I want to watch. I want to talk with, with this friend and I was trying and I was trying from the beginning and I kind of stopped. I was like, ah, I texted her and said, I don't think I'm going to finish. Like, I'm just, I'm not feeling the pressure. And she said, I understand but I could kind of hear the disappointment, you know? So I said, I'll jump up to where I left off. I'll, I'll jump up to season five instead of trying to rewatching it. And I was enthralled. And I mean, I've already talked about all this. I flew through like a season and a half in the matter of a few days. And so I texted her and she's all excited about it, talking to me about it. And uh, I don't really know when they go to bed. So I was like, usually when I finish watching it, it's like 11 at night. So I don't really want to text. But then I, by the next day, I'm busy and I forget. So today I, I texted her and I said, hey, like if I text you late, is it going to bother you or will you just see it the next day kind of? She's like, nope, won't wake me oh, up. Yeah. Go ahead. So I'm like, okay, awesome. So I'm like, okay, cool. So now I can watch it and I can in the middle of the night be like, holy crap, yeah. you know, and text her that. And the next day she'll text me back. And But it's, it's fun to be able to share that with somebody, especially, uh, you know, with somebody you wouldn't really expect to. You never know who's going to, you know, really dig stuff and – um, it's certainly not all, you know, trapped into, if you like this, you like that, nobody else will. So, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. It just makes it so much more fun to share it with somebody you yeah. wouldn't expect to, you know, kind of create that bond and that, that, uh, build the friendship beyond what it already is with somebody that you already, you know, appreciate their friendship. So anyways, we will call it a good night. I will call my sister in a few minutes. But thank you very much for spending this thank time you. with me and Spark Me. Blah. Good Lord, I can't talk. You'll have to edit that out. One, two, three. Thank you for spending this time with me, Sparky, in my English-speaking words. Um, <laughs> it was a good time. I think we needed it. Um, you will be happy to know Sammy greatly wants to know when your birthday is, so I need that answer September right 10th. now. When is your birthday? 
September 10th, you will be getting oh, a birthday present oh from boy. Sammy. I still, he insists. I still very, have his artwork somewhere here in this massive pile of stuff I have surrounding me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we uh, we were out today, as I mentioned, and um, we were looking around, and I picked out some postcards to send to you. And I was talking about kind of that and what that meant, how you had sent presents to Sammy before. They had, you know, he didn't really yeah. remember because he was pretty young. So he wanted to know when your birthday was because he wants to send you a present. So you'll get a present oh, from awesome. Sammy on your birthday. Thank All right. You. Well, thank you very much. Have a good night, everybody. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at who's Paul Sparky's at MD Sparkman. Uh, you can check us out on uh, what's the website? Sparkypodcast.com. It's work in progress. Boom. Check it out. Work in progress. Getting better every day. Just like the Dodgers root for them to win the World Series. And if you're not rooting for them, then Stay don't listen to us anymore. Good night. Have a good night. Yay. That wasn't terrible. That was pathetic. Boom.